Welcome back to Whiskey and Lemon. In this episode, I want to talk about the difference between making our emotions our identity versus accepting that we are experiencing an emotion. I will not cover the mindset of refusing the emotion even exists because I don't believe that ignoring it or acting like it's not there is helpful. With that being said, I am not a doctor, so I am basing this episode more off people that experience depression based on life changes or situations, not clinical depression or an official diagnosis. It may work for someone, but it has never worked for me or anyone that I know. I wanted to cover this topic because anxiety has been a major struggle for me the past couple of years and maintaining the identity versus possession differentiation has really helped me. For reference, moving forward in this episode, emotion identity is making the emotion your identity. For example, saying I am an anxious person, I'm an angry person, or even saying things like I suffer from depression or I suffer from anxiety, which can be very valid terms if you have a complete clinical diagnosis. An emotion does not define you and accepting it as an identity makes it that much harder to manage. So reframing your statements to emotion possession, you are saying something like, I am feeling depressed right now, or I'm feeling sad right now, I am feeling anxious, or I'm feeling overwhelmed, or sometimes I get bad anxiety, or saying I am angry right now over I'm an angry person can go a long way. Regarding those who do have a diagnosis, it's still important to remind yourself that you are more than just your diagnosis. Having depression or anxiety or any other mental health condition doesn't mean that is all you have to offer. In fact, you have a lot more to offer. If you've been with me since the beginning, then you may remember an episode where I discussed not letting one thing be your identity in any sense. So if you love being a nurse and make that your entire identity, then if you lose your job, you may have a hard time remembering who you are. Who we are is really based on how we treat other people. If I really appreciate a friend in my life, I wouldn't just push them aside because they lost their job. That same thing goes for if that friend is experiencing certain emotions, unless of course it's harming me in some way. We all deal with certain things in life, but still need to hold ourselves accountable as best as we can. And a key way to do that is not claim those emotions as just who we are, as our identity. I had a friend recently tell me that their work environment is very uncomfortable because a colleague of theirs just walks around talking down to everyone. Now, I'm sure there are some deeper issues there and this behavior could be a projection from something else. However, this person should still hold themselves accountable, even with stress or anger. How they are treating people is essentially who they are. But if we are making our identity angry person, then we lose control of managing that emotion. It then finds its way to almost every behavior. So by accepting you may have some anger over a particular situation and allowing yourself to process those emotions and then putting them down, we clearly differentiate between emotion identity and possession. So when talking about depression, for example, it's a common term people use when clinically it should be referring to the condition only. Is it possible you are feeling sad over being clinically depressed? Is it possible you are feeling severely overwhelmed over suffering from severe anxiety? I say this to make sure we are not putting ourselves into a tall box we cannot allow ourselves to crawl out of. You'll have to ask yourself things like, is this triggered by a specific event or is this something that never quite goes away? Does this prevent me from doing day-to-day tasks? Does it not prevent me from doing day-to-day tasks, but it makes those tasks very difficult to do? Or am I feeling an emotion but can still perform tasks normally without any burden? 
I want us to be aware of certain languages because we can often catastrophize and exaggerate things to hell with the words we say. A big one that drives me crazy is when people say things like, I literally died when I heard about blah, blah, blah. No, you didn't. Saying someone ghosted you when they just didn't respond to a text. It's one thing to take something serious and joke about it. It's another thing to catastrophize something to take yourself to a place that you wouldn't be able to manage. I give you this range of examples to illustrate this next point. The self-fulfilling prophecy. The American Psychological Association defines this as a belief or expectation that helps bring about its own fulfillment. For example, when a person expects nervousness to impair his or her performance in a job interview, or when a teacher's preconceptions about a student's ability influences the child's achievement for better or worse. It also has been related to the bootstrapped induction or Oedipus effect, which is the cycle of one, a belief about the future, two, taking an action based on that belief, and three, the results of the action confirming the belief to be true. Other examples are the stereotype threat, the placebo effect, and the Pygmalion effect, which is when we expect certain behaviors of others, we are likely to act in ways that make the expected behavior behavior more likely to occur. I'm going to quickly cover a diagram that I found on Simply Psychology. I will link it in the episode notes. So imagine a compass. We have north, east, southwest. So north is our actions toward others. East is others' beliefs about us. South is other actions towards us. And west is our beliefs about others. So to make this simpler, north is our actions. East is others' beliefs. South is others' actions. West is our beliefs. It's this vicious cycle of allowing ourselves to believe that every time a certain thing occurs, we will respond in a certain way in response to that because we accept an emotion as our identity. So we're expecting it to happen. You believe that you can manage certain feelings based on past reactions to situations. If in the past you received, let's say, 10 projects at work, and you automatically went to feelings of being overwhelmed instead of prioritizing those projects how you see fit and then working on them accordingly. So the next time you either know 10 projects are coming or you receive 10 projects, you might want to automatically run to being overwhelmed again because you experienced it in the past or are now seemingly identify yourself as being an overwhelmed person. When in reality, you have experienced something we may have all experienced at some point. The last thing we want to do in this situation is allow the emotion to control us. So the best course of action would be to allow this emotion to run its course for a minute, then set it down and work productively. Or when it comes to anger, someone might do something that is indirectly affecting us and makes us angry. So then moving forward, we already tell ourselves that this particular action will always make us angry or something that a person does usually bothers us. So then we begin to tell ourselves we're going to be bothered by this person every single time. When without that thought prepositioned in our minds, we may never have even noticed the behavior or the person in that instance. Though it may be more difficult for some or just more difficult at certain times, we can try to distance ourselves from something being ingrained in us or who we are. And it can just be something we possess or have experienced before. So what do we tend to do when we take on emotion identity and forget who we were before feeling sad, overwhelmed, depressed, or anxious, or any other mental or emotional issue? We can disassociate from reality and can even have memory loss. 
We can lose the ability to find pleasure in things, especially those we were so fond of in the past. We can catastrophize our feelings to ourselves and then to others, creating a vicious cycle that makes it harder to manage. And we can also experience longer than normal processing times because sitting in that place of discomfort is actually comfortable or familiar to us. I mentioned how I think it's important to accept an emotion we are feeling versus trying to ignore its existence, but not letting it define us. There's an episode I did with Dr. Giancarlo Licata where he does a great job at explaining how anxiety is a changeable trait. And I want to drop a clip from that episode in now. So anxiety is a trait. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of like, um, it's not like I have dark hair, or I have blonde hair, or I have blue eyes or I have brown eyes. It's, it's not that fixed, but it's pretty fixed. Um, and so, um, so it's something that tends to, it's, it's my, it's what I tend to do on a regular basis, right? So, um, a person who tends to have anxiety tends to have anxiety. Um, and so it's, 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 a, it's a trait that, that's part of their, their brain makeup. Now, it's changeable, right? And that's going to be an important thing. There are things that can change the trait or take it down a notch as if it was a volume meter, right? Mm. Like a, a volume setting on our, you know, our, our sound system, maybe a, a 10 is super high, a zero is completely off. Some of us, if, if anxiety, you know, a, pan, a panic or an anxiety attack is a 10, some of us, we live at a seven, Right. Mm. And so we go plus or minus two, one or two notches. I mean, we only need to go a couple notches and we're going into full blown attack. Yeah. Right. Um, and some of us may live at a two or a three. Mm-hmm. Right. And so um, but it tends to be a trait. It tends to be what 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 goes back to my if you know, when, when, I, when what's my tendency? What's my what's my rhythm? What do I tend to be like? Right. So A, it tends to, it, it's a trait. It tends to follow us. Um, but B, it is changeable. Um, and, and as a trait, it's changeable. Um, now, so again, when it gets up to a 10, we have an anxiety attack. It tends to be acute. It tends to be meaning it's fast. It's hard. My heart's racing. Um, but it's usually because of something something real around me that I can, it's a psychological response. Um, oh my gosh, I can't believe, you know, my, uh, whatever, my, my significant other is going to break up with me. And I, what am I going to do with in life? Right. I'm going to, I'm freaking out about it. Mm-hmm. Right. Or, oh my gosh, I got to go speak on this podcast. Oh my gosh. I'm, I just, <gasps> you know, somebody has to talk me off the ledge. Right. Um, and <laughs> yeah. so, and so, and so that's the whole spectrum in the anxiety world. Next week, I want to dive into ways to combat emotion identity and accepting the trait for what it is, just something we possess, whether that be in the moment or all the time, and maybe it's just sitting somewhere in the back. And as a reminder, I cannot specifically speak to those that have clinical anxiety, depression, or any other diagnosis. As always, I hope this information was helpful for you. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please subscribe and make sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.